My, I mean, my guess, Todd, I, were you a classic paper boy? That's my guess. I was Wait. not, no. I would, hmm, let's see. You would mow the lawns. It was related to lawns, but no, I did not mow lawns. Oh, I get the gold star for the day. I'm close. You're in the neighborhood. <laughs> you started as a landscape architect, didn't you, Todd? You just walked right into it. <laughs> Well, when you got it, you got it. Yeah, at 12 <laughs> years old, he was already <laughs> designing uh, the nice retaining walls. So, no, my, my first job was uh, cold calling for a lawn care service. Oh, interesting. In case anybody wants to know, cold calling stinks. No offense to those that do it out there. It was not my <laughs> job. How old were you? 12? Yeah, 15, something like that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. They, okay. they do pay you extremely well, though, because nobody wants to do sure. that job. Yeah. <laughs> or nobody's going to say no to a 12-year-old when you're like, can I come and mow your lawn? <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, Nate, guess, uh, you said you were ready with this answer. What was your first first job? Yeah. So technically, my first job was working for my dad. So he had his own concrete business. So I've been underneath almost every university in Minnesota um, in the tunnels where all the water pipes are. Um, so I used to crawl up and down on my knees, uh, right, just hauling concrete hoses up and down, pouring concrete, troweling, that kind of stuff. So I got the nice lesson of hard labor uh, from an early age of, I think, eight. Is the, <laughs> I, I, I have a picture that I see um floating around from time to time uh where i'm i'm trying to like pull people through there as a, a young kid and whatnot i used to be able to stand up in the tunnels so we'll put it that way my first corporate job was actually working at panera uh washing dishes making uh sandwiches and salads um, after i wash your hands so you didn't go from the dirty dishes straight to the front so <laughs> nice i uh I was stocking shelves in uh, Australia's version of Kroger um, at 14. Um, and there was uh, basically straight after school until the uh, the law said we had to go home, um, which I think was like 11 or 11.30 back then. Um, and then straight to school the next day. So, you so, know, at so 14. What's so what's the Australian version of Kroger if there's no Kroger here in Minnesota where probably most people uh, are listening? Well, this place Fair. is called Woolworths. Um, uh, so I, I suppose Target, I think. You guys have a Target, right? <laughs> well, to date, to date, yes, um, there was Woolworths when I was a kid. Um, oh, okay. And there, and there are Krogers out west, so we do have them in the States. Wait, is Woolworths a thing? And it I've was. just never seen one? Wow. Uh, That's it was, great. but yeah, it's been ages since I've seen one. Yeah. Those are Woolworths. Look at that. Wow. What about you, Tara? I was going to say along the lines of the food service industry, I started at Pizza Hut, um, started as a waitress and was able to kind of work my way up through high school. But I mean, as all young girls growing up, I started as a babysitter, too. But then mm. I was like, enough of that. I want some what? of the real money. So I was at Pizza Hut. Fun fact, Ooh, that's where mom, the real money. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, my mom's uh, first job was also a dough master at uh, Pizza Hut. So Very I don't nice. know if that was yours as well. But. Dough master. That's a dough awesome. master. Yeah. That's a cool title. <laughs> Very cool. 
Nice. I'm on the I'm on the pizza train as well, but uh, I worked at Papa Murphy's, which was so nice. It's nice to be in a place where they don't actually like bake the food, so you didn't have that like grease in the air. You know, that was that was a nice job to have. Yeah. So on our Tech for Business podcast today, uh, Tara and myself are joined by Todd, our COO and CISO, Matthew, our GRC analyst, and Nate, our director of cybersecurity. And we're talking labor. We're talking jobs. We're talking about the shortage, um, the cybersecurity labor shortage, which is, I'm so curious how we sort of got to this point what if we can kind of talk first about where we are today and what led up to this labor shortage hackers punks hackers that's it <laughs> hackers and federal changes um really it's a, a, a and the pandemic obviously as well just yeah over, just broad stroking it <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 sure we could probably get into some of the statistics along the way, but um, I'll probably just start with kind of a very general assumption uh, along the way. But you know, typically IT was handled by you know your network admin or your system admin, um, and a lot of organizations tended to place their trust into you know this team does everything, um, right? Is they they're building the servers. They're trying to keep the everything operational. Security tended to fall on the backside, right? Is it's it's a component that we should keep in mind along the way. But really, IT at the end of the day was always about supporting the business and keeping the lights on in the server room. Uh, that's about it. What we've really seen over the last, I mean, I'm gonna say 10 years. It's probably more than that, but um, really over the last 10 years has been a major shift into almost a division of labor uh, between uh, IT companies. So if you ever talk to uh, our CEO, Kyle, you know, you'll always hear him talk about how IT is no longer a, a single person. It's kind of the same with a, the concept of the kids, right? Is um, it takes a village to raise a kid. It's now it takes a village to properly maintain your IT infrastructure. And so now typically what you're seeing is you have people that specialize in networking, people that specialize in system administration or IT support or security, uh, incident response. And you can keep branching out as much as you want. Um, but gone are the days where one IT person can do it all. Uh, and now we're really seeing where that cybersecurity comes in. Hackers, government, like we're going to talk about. <laughs> There's not enough people to do it all because the demand is massive. Yeah, I think kind of as a, a slight reframing of that, it's the gap has always been there, but there wasn't a need for more than one person to attempt to get it done because there wasn't as many actors taking advantage of the flaws that existed when only one person is doing this job. Going back to the 90s, we could have had seven people on a team doing everything that one person was trying to get done. And most of our horror stories, I'm sure for, <laughs> for Todd and, and Nate, with the the technical side of things that we've done, are experiences of trying to handle way too much ourselves. Um, and so because of that, I think that gap has always been there, but it wasn't as exposed as it is now, and especially in more recent years, um, with, you know, 
needing just a full networking team to make sure something's being done correctly. Things have got more intense, technology has gotten more intense, and while it's in some cases, it has been attempted to be simplified, simplified doesn't mean more secure. Uh, so all around, that gap was always there, and now it's just a little more exposed than it was. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of the way back machine as well. Um, so back, like Matthew said, late 90s, early 2000s, um, I, I held a position where I was the guy that was holding all the keys. And, and while I did have a team, it wasn't just me. It was different, right? Security was more about making sure that certain people had access to, to certain things. So, you know, that this is back in the days when everything was on-prem and you had all of your files and folders on the network and you're making sure that only the executive team has exact access to the executive files, HR information, payroll, et cetera, et cetera. And then as the world kind of evolved and things started to happen, like, you know, the internet kicked into place, things started to get a little bit more complex. And again, as the world continued to evolve, more openings for being able to having to protect what was going on quickly became outside the walls. Um, you started doing VPN connections so you could work remote, using your cell phones to connect to email, et cetera. And as that exposure continued to, or those improvements, if you will, whichever way you want to look at it, you started to expand the attack surface of a network, an individual, a company, et cetera. And as that continued to go down the path, it just got worse and worse. So um, I mean, when I joined CIT, it was about six years ago, and it wasn't great then, but it isn't. It wasn't like it is now. And, and um, when I started, Kyle and I were chatting, our CEO were chatting about it, and I'm going, it's going to get so much worse. We're just trying to get in front of this. And um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it was going to get as bad as it is. It's it's absolutely horrific. Um, it's actually getting better. So so I don't mean to scare anybody because it is going better and I do see a light at the end of the tunnel. But but it, it's just gotten more and more complex, especially the pandemic, I think, really escalated things over the last three years is now everybody's remote. Everything's pushing to the cloud. Again, that attack surface just keeps expanding and expanding. And as it does that, you need more people to look at more things. Thus, the fact that the need for security is increased. Of course, there's more threat actors, there's a lot of money in it, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the fact that there's so much that's gotten so much more separated and complex, I think, is ultimately the reason why we're seeing such a shortage of people to be able to help and protect and review, et cetera. Yeah, I, I guess uh, one thing that really comes to mind and is kind of, again, a little bit of that way back machine that Todd was talking about, right, is... I really think that some of the key years that really started expediting this is when the government started to truly get involved in care, right? So, um, you know, Todd was talking about the early 90s, early 2000s. We, you know, with anything like this, you know, it, it tends to be a, an exponential curve um, when people really start grasping onto something like this. But back in like, you know, 2014, I believe it was, is when the government got involved saying, we need to have some type of framework uh, about how to even manage and communicate cybersecurity to people. You know, that's the the birth of items like uh, the NIST cybersecurity framework that we talk about all the time, right? There's there's a couple of derivatives, uh, or sorry, probably not derivatives if uh, the NIST it was a derivative of those, but uh, kind of pre um, pre defined you know frameworks ahead of that. But NIST cybersecurity framework really picked up, and then we. So, uh, you know, one of the executive orders come through with the federal uh, government saying you need to have things like uh, EDR and the federal government needs to start adopting things like the zero trust um, 
methodology, right? After that, that's when we started seeing insurance really mandating all these requirements as well. Um, you know, I'm sure Matthew could also talk about qualified individuals for these different other regulations. Um, but those often come with lots of experience required to be able to be in these types of roles. So um, just as kind of the the last thing I want to add on that, which um, which you reminded me of with what you were just saying, Nate, is we saw the biggest FTC fine ever come down in 2019, and it was five billion dollars uh, to Facebook. Um, so I think that from a business mindset as well, it suddenly became something that had consequences that maybe weren't as clear before. Um, and so that it was, it it suddenly became more logical from a from a uh, business mindset to to put money into these roles that maybe had been left to one or a smaller team than it generally would have been. So that market opened up um, because people would correctly rather pay individuals to get the work done than pay a fine. Tara, I know you talked a little bit about uh, you seeing light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Did you want to maybe talk about, you know, some of the trends uh, that you saw out there, you know, stats that are kind of floating around over the years? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this really supports the, the light at the end of the tunnel, but but you can kind of see how things are going. I mean, we kind of talked about where the shortage came from. And again, if you kind of think about how things progressed over the years, as it used to be that they targeted they the bad guys the malicious the the actors were always targeting things where there was like there was a ton of money to be had and that evolved over the couple last couple of years the last two or three years we we transitioned to going everybody's should be concerned everybody's a target i don't care where you are you could be in the middle of the woods and the tennessee mountains it doesn't matter if you're connected to the internet they care because it's all worth money to them um so, I mean, I just it keeps getting worse and worse. But I, I do think that there are things going on as the government does start to get engaged, as you mentioned, Nate, that as that starts to happen, you start to see that there are frameworks. There is there is kind of that path forward. And because that exists, then there starts to be openings in the the market, if you will, for people to get hired. Um, you're starting to see some evolution of stuff that's going on. So statistically speaking, um, while things, in my opinion, are getting better, so is the fact that there's so many people being needed in these roles. So I think a year ago we were talking about statistically there was something about 500,000 job openings in the U.S. for security. And we actually placed, we, the whole st the whole country, all industries, placed like 460,000 of those positions. However, <laughs> there's like another million positions that opened within the last 12 months. And so while we're making progress, the demand is just growing exponentially. But again, there's reasons for that. You're starting to see this consolidation of services. Um, when we started this, Nate and I were, when we started at CIT, there really was not a security operations center and you couldn't really find them. So we built one. And over the last couple of years, you're starting to see other organizations start to build out that offering and offering it to us, offering it to their customers, our customers, et cetera. And I see more and more of that happening, which is why you're seeing this growth and demand continuing to follow with it is we know we need to do something about it. People are trying to fill that void and saying we can help. And because of that, there's this big demand for additional IT people. But there are other reasons why it's really hard to find people too. And I'll, I'll pause because I know the other guys have some stuff to say too. <laughs> They're expensive. 
Yeah, they are expensive. <laughs> that's, that's the first and foremost, <laughs> you know. Um, so just just for some basic numbers, right? So if we're talking, you know, Todd talked about building your own internal SOC uh, with Security Operations Center, which are the ones that are sitting there monitoring your network every day. If you truly want to get internal IT to monitor your network 24-7 coverage, right? It takes eight to 12 people, right, to accommodate vacations, PTOs, that kind of stuff. Take that, um, even at a entry-level role, you're looking at about $80,000 for that. So, it, you know, today, at that point, you know, now you're going to potentially be sitting here looking at $800,000 million a year just to monitor your internal network, right? And that's, that's, I don't know any organizations that's gonna necessarily pay for that, especially in the small and medium business. Um, so I, I can get to that in a little bit, but um, oftentimes in cybersecurity, these roles are high in demand. Um, and then, you know, because they're in demand, you're also potentially looking at employees, you know, Matthew, you talked uh, a little bit, um, in the in the past at least about how people are potentially going to want to move really really quick because they are in demand and these roles do pay fairly well right yeah so it, that's that's the challenges that a lot of organizations face is it's expensive potentially high churn um how do you maintain that long term yeah I did want to just um, interject here a question. We talk about like cybersecurity and like the entry point. Cybersecurity is so vast of like the jobs that are available. And it's like, where do you even start? Like, I want to get in cybersecurity, but what does that mean? I mean, do I want to go into the training of how important training is or the security solutions around that? So I think you guys will be able to kind of weave this into the conversation, but I think that's a great point too to to bring up of like, where do we even start? I think between the three of us, we all had different ways of entering into the security field as well. Um, so personally, um, I started in Service Center. I was a tier one Service Center tech and then worked my way up to NetAdmin and got the certifications and then pivoted to security because there was a gap in the organization I was in at the time. Um, I found that gap and found out I loved working in it and then pivoted to compliance because I realized that for me, at least having those compliance things in place helped me sleep at night. Uh, <laughs> so in terms of of the kind of training I had, it was very natural with the job that I was working at the time. I definitely put myself out there. I focused on getting the right certifications that were right for me and and the way that they worked within helping me do my job at the time. And it naturally progressed this way. For for me, I started off in IT support. Um, you know, I don't have a technical undergrad or anything like that. But while I was working that role, I saw that a lot of these security roles um at the time you know again they were looking for senior or you know intermediate level experience so security was not ever seen as something that was entry level uh, by any means and so that's where for me i saw kind of the writing on the wall of i can't get into that unless i have additional experience or education so i went and got my master's in cybersecurity, did some uh, certifications along the way uh, and then that opened up the door 
which actually I, I had to leave uh, a different company to, in order to, uh, you know, come here to CIT to truly get into a security role, uh, you know, and uh, CIT took a gamble on me, right? I was I was new at the time. Um, I didn't know cybersecurity in general. So, and that was that was a risk that CIT took at the time. So. And I, I actually, I think it's kind of funny that Matthew said we're all different, but we're actually all pretty similar. So I, I started my career in, in IT too as a help desk individual um, and worked my up through, way up through the admin role into a director role, et cetera. The reason why that I ultimately ended up in charge of security was because um, in, in the IT department that I was, as Nate mentioned, you just got it, right? Here's the security cameras, here's the badge access, here's the security controls that go on the networks, et cetera. Um, where I really managed to really get an, a deep understanding it is the organization I worked with um, had an, an ISO certification. And so as we went through the process of going through that every year, um, I was in charge of all the IT, all the security, et cetera. And I had to learn all the ins and outs. What are policies and procedures? What are the frameworks? What are the controls? What does the review look like? How does testing go on, et cetera, et cetera. So I learned a lot through that process. Um, and then as the world continued to evolve, I, I do think I did think it was kind of interesting when Nate brought this up, um, because a couple of years ago, you would see job openings for cybersecurity and they'd say, we need 30 years of experience. And obviously, Nate at that time is going to go like, I surprisingly don't have 30 years of experience. I just came out of college. And uh, I thought it was always kind of funny because I was like, cybersecurity really has not been at the forefront like it has been the last six years. So how can you go and ask somebody for 30 years of experience? It was the dumbest thing ever. But regardless, um, I did have a very large amount of years behind me as I went through it. But I still went through keeping up to date, going through new certifications, et cetera. So, you know, I've got the CISP, I got the CISM, we've gone through it, most of us have. Um, but when it comes to how do people get into it, I think the technical background does help a lot. So if you just come in cold from marketing or sales or whatever, it's going to be very, very tough because it is a very technical position and it does have a lot of technical jargon. And so the the ramp up is is pretty damn big if you don't have that background and then of course we use acronyms like crazy and we talk like nerds so if you don't have some of that it's it's really difficult to just come in the ground running so my opinion is if you have a little bit of technical background it will definitely help you obviously since the the three of us already do have that and then starting to work on finding out the certifications looking at stuff like the security plus once you start to get that baseline in um, I think that's a great way forward. And, and I'll add one more thing and I'll give up the mic for a minute. But <laughs> when you talk about there's so many opening positions at CIT, the vast majority of how we fill our security positions is entry level and they almost never have security background. So we're going, come in, we'll give you a shot. We'll teach you everything we can. And it's it's going to be a hurdle. Um, I've mentioned this in other podcasts as well as there is this undeniable imposter syndrome that goes with cyber security because as Tara mentioned there's so many departments so many roles so much everything so many acronyms as I mentioned you can't know it all and so people are just naturally like I don't know everything Nate does therefore I'm not very good and that's not true so as you're getting into it don't be afraid of it either because you can get there from here yeah yeah uh Ariel could I say one thing yeah yeah perfect (laughs) perfect Uh, you're good so Kind of the the one thing you know as we talked about some of this education there's high barrier of entry at the time and everything like that um i tell my team all the time i have a master's it means nothing to me right that was the door for opening uh my career 
uh, at the time. One of the things that I really do encourage, and we do have a few people on the teams that we've seen the, the, the education industry shift this way, is formal education, you know, your bachelor's, master's, that kind of stuff, is becoming less and less important. I, I, I still do find value in it, right? I, I really enjoy it. I would love to go do another one uh, if it wasn't so expensive. But there's cybersecurity boot camps all over the place now, right? Uh, those popped up in the last three years, and um, they're phenomenal. It's 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 throwing a ton of actually relevant stuff at you. You know, my master's is very paper heavy, uh, right? And so it, I I encourage people to at least at least take it a look at a boot camp. They're still also pretty expensive these days, but um, but if you're looking for more of an expedited way in entry level. I think they're great. Yeah. And Ariel, sorry, I'll just one tiny thing oh, from an good. anecdote here. You answered here, my question, so you're oh, great. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I, there's probably a better, more relevant example of this, uh, but I'll talk about the one that I remember, which was back when uh, the Swift programming language came out for iOS, within weeks of it being announced officially, there were jobs saying must have two years of experience with this programming language that had existed for about five minutes at the time in public. So keep in mind that when you are looking for jobs, when you're finding jobs, even entry level jobs that say two years experience, one year experience, they're looking for a drive and a passion as well. Um, they're looking for someone who's staying on top of things like Todd mentioned, keeping up with the news, keeping up with 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 what's happening in the field, whether that's threat detection and you're just watching YouTube videos from these guys who work for Mandiant and stuff. It, just keeping on top of it and being inter interested in it is part of that. So I highly recommend um, if you are getting into it, the boot camp route, uh, like Nate said, is great. I took more of a certifications route. Uh, there are ways to do it that aren't just the formula formal education, like Nate mentioned, which I know is a can be a little bit intimidating when you're seeing some of these jobs float around with that master's requirement. Um, I mean, take it. Take a shot at some of these jobs. If you uh, if if you feel like you meet most of the requirements for them, then <laughs> I always felt it was worth trying. So we've we've talked so much about like the history and then like the entry to this. And there are, I mean, obviously there's three right here, but there's plenty of people in cybersecurity working right now. And I can only imagine um, the stress, the burnout, um, the compensation, all of those things. I mean, what are we doing to at least maintain the people who are here? I mean, it's a great question. It, I was going to kind of address it much earlier, too, is as we talk about people get experience and they start to learn, it's there is an analogy that I'll use for technology if anybody's in IT, which I'm guessing a fair number are um, back in the early 2000s, as people were skilling up, they were getting their their Cisco certifications and everything. They were hopping from job to job just because there was so much money being thrown at them. And we're seeing that in cybersecurity, too. So as Nate was kind of saying is the cybersecurity people, they're hard to find, they're hard to train, they're hard to retain. All of those things really, really matter. Um, we were working really, really hard on our employee satisfaction in general as an organization. So we've got a lot of initiatives, whether it's incentive based or whatever, but there's a lot of other things that we try to do. We do want to make sure that the job is fun. Um, as you mentioned, there is a lot of stress, a lot of things that go with it. So trying to to be able to decompress and do things outside or even do, we, we actually did an exercise with our team that I thought was an incredible team building exercise where we did it's called uh, 
breaches and backdoors and back, breaches. Backdoors and breaches. And we did it as an entire team. Um, very expensive from the company's perspective. <laughs> but I thought it was fantastic. I mean, the, the ability to joke and have fun and think as a group was really, really cool. And I thought it was an incredible team building thing, too. Does that necessarily do what it takes to get them to re- re- be retained? Probably not. But it, it's one of the things that I think helps. Yeah. We're joking that uh, as Todd and I are talking about all this, Matthew's learning everything that we do to try and keep him here. But um, <laughs> but but no culture, um, I guess I, I'll make this really, really brief here. But understanding each person individually is really, really important. Right. So um, here at CIT, I try my best. I'm not perfect at it, but I do try and at least meet with every person one on one at least quarterly you know what's going well what's not going well uh, what what passions do you have where do you want to go right how do we get you there um and tr- truly trying to be a, a a way to foster their growth as well right they're they're benefiting the company but at the end of the day at some point the sidewalks will diverge and we're going to go different paths right so let's make sure that when they started and when they ended, at least CIT is a little bit better, as well as I have contributed to uh, their growth as well, right? I, I try my best. Um, people will leave, though. And so, and then also kind of talking about understanding people, most security people, uh, they have a strong internal desire to just protect, um, right? You know, it's uh, like the law enforcement, right? Um, we're kind of like the law enforcement of IT to a degree is we just want to protect at the end of the day. So um, how do you play into that? And I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff we could go in, but I'll, I'll kind of keep it at there. But fostering growth has been um, really one of my main pushes here at CIT. And and I'll say on that as well, and I would agree, Nate, um, as an employee who falls under who reports to you directly. I think you're fantastic at that. Uh, one of the things that I, I found in this field is, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> is that uh, the role, it's the growth factor within cybersecurity at the moment is so fast. Um, individuals who come in as a tier one SOC technician tend to feel they're past that within a couple of months. Um, and for me, I remember this thing that my uh, one of my college professors said to me, which was that getting a bachelor's degree is not about learning that topic. It's about proving you can stick with something for three years out of high school. Um, <laughs> that there was more about the consistency of it than there was about the knowledge you take from it. And if that helps you get into a field you're looking to get into. Um, I, could, I couldn't agree more with that statement, by the way. I mean, it, it's yeah. absolutely true, right? You show up every day, you put in the work. Exactly. And so I kind of feel that within that, there's this mix of fostering that growth, what is very quick growth and often feels like you've hit this wall or or maybe you're you're pushing a, like you've you've pushed past where you think you are, um, is just feeling like you're still growing within a space, even if maybe the exact role that you're doing is something you are completing. Um, having space to grow and and change as a as an employee. And and not to suck up too much more, but I feel like CIT is very good at that. <laughs> so we should just kick them off this uh, podcast, and then we'll keep talking about the labor shortage. <laughs> so fair, fair. Um, 
but I, I think that's what what keeps people around, right? It's it's what's keeping people happy is is remembering that they're going to grow. You can't stop that. Trying to force someone to stay through whatever means is probably not going to work, uh, especially in a time when moving jobs is is pretty common. Um, having some finding what that person, like Nate said, finding what that employee wants. What is it they're looking to get out of each role? That's what you're looking for. That's the answer. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat the brilliant things that both Matthew and, and Nate said to a degree is I, I, I 100% believe in the succession planning. And Nate and I used to joke heavily when we first started building our team was everybody we interviewed, they'd always come in and say, you'd say, what do you want to do with your life in security? And the answer was always, I want to do pen testing. And then, <laughs> you know, we'd always joke and go, uh, guaranteed that's the answer. And it was 100% for like three years. And we're actually starting to see that diverge a little bit um, because it's that really cool thing. It's, they've made TV shows out of it for Pete's sakes. But the reality is, is once people start to get into cybersecurity, they find out that there's all these other things that they could potentially do. And so um, Nate kind of alluded to this as we're doing this process of trying to touch base every day going, what is the direction you want to go? It's been a couple of months. Does that still resonate or not um, and then try to make sure you're on the path to try and get there and as Nate mentioned in some cases that may mean somebody leaves the organization and there could be a lot of reasons why that happens they may want the enterprise experience or they may feel like they get exposure to an organization that's implemented something in particular sometimes that works out sometimes it doesn't um, but but my feeling on it and Nate articulated this incredibly well is as long as the company is a little bit better off than they were when you came in and we've helped you achieve that by all means that's an absolutely perfect experience and if you've got that mindset going in you will a hundred percent express that to your your staff and your staff will feel that they know that you're in their corner and that is an incredibly powerful thing when you're trying to maintain your staff but again if you don't hold it against them and they leave then it's okay right it, you're, they didn't do you wrong you're in a better spot than they were you helped them get to a better place it's all very very great and it all works together extremely well yeah the i guess i just have a real couple of quick things here is um I still talk to the people that left CIT on our team, right? I still have great relationships with a lot of those um, because we work together. We uh, tried building something together. We tr grow together, right? Um, so that's really important, right, is trust the people around you. Trust your employees. Really trying to just build camaraderie along the way, right? And then... Um, the other thing that I wanted to chat about uh, real briefly was going back to those, you know, quarterly check-ins that I try and do. What that also means is, you know, there's data out there. You know, if you take a look, some of the marketing, uh, HR reporting and everything is organizations are shifting away from annual reviews and they're making it more frequently, right? Is having more regular check-ins, having more regular um, compensation adjustments, right? Is, you know, if someone goes and gets their CISP, I know that they can take that immediately out to the next employer and get a raise. Let's just take care of it now, right? It's just just do right, pay what people are worth. Um, and then when all else fails, uh, just beg them to stay. I, I've, had, <laughs> I've, I've had to do that Agreed. myself. I've, I've had to do it myself, right? Is um, changes can breed uncertainty and cause for concern. Um, so sometimes uh, for IT leadership, you just have to go, please just trust me enough to make it another week, <laughs> right? And it'll get better. And 
I've been there, right? And that's kind of where the transparency and honesty with your teams really starts to come in. And again, going back to trust and camaraderie. So, I, I had one little uh, housekeeping item I wanted to address, and then I, I'll try to be quiet the rest of the way through. But I, I said specifically when Matthew was talking about the bachelor's degree that I was like, I agree with the statement. I want to be clear that in my opinion, and I, I'm, I'm positive there are other security leaders out there, the bachelor degree, the master's is not required. It does show me something as a hiring manager, but it is not the be all end all. So um, this is talking to the people that actually are interested in getting in there. Don't be afraid to go after your goals, go after them because it will pay off for you. What I'm looking for is, do you get it? Do you want it? Do you have the capacity to do it? And if you can show me those things in an interview, I don't even care if you answer the questions wrong. I can teach you, <laughs> right? If I, you show me that, I'll teach you what you need to know and we'll get there. We're, we'll get there together. So. Um, sorry, I kind of got a little excited oh, there and saying, like, you know, if, you, if you've got a passion, <laughs> chase it. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. Like I said, I spent tens of thousands of dollars on my education and I, on the, previously on this podcast, I said it's worthless to me. So, um, actually on some of our job descriptions, I pulled out formal education altogether. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, I mean, my, my bachelor's is not in it. Um, there are as helpful as it was for for getting to where I am, it, it wasn't because of the content I learned, which is why I mentioned it as I did. So agreed. I want to be respectful of our time, but I am so curious if we can just real quick, if we had this conversation, same one, same questions in five years, what do you think this labor shortage is going to be like? Are we better? Are we worse? Is it the same? Where are we at in five years? I'll take a first stab at it. I think we'll be in a better spot. So I I, I kind of opened up the conversation as I do think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, again, I'm going to use the analogy of when when Nate and I were really starting to put this together, we were really seeing our customers were just getting hammered. And it, it I mean, it kind of hurt, <laughs> if I'm being honest. As Nate said, you kind of have that innate desire to protect and help. And so when we were seeing that happening, it's just like, God, how do we get in front of this? And we were doing a bunch of stuff and it was all really good stuff. And we've been building frameworks and everything and helping our customers get where they need to go. And there's a variety of reasons for it. But the majority of the reason why we're doing it is it's the right thing that you should do. And we're bringing you along with us. But there has been a shift over the last couple of months, years, where you're starting to see better tools like endpoint detection and response. We've got a podcast for that. Um, <laughs> It's come out. It, it's it's been a game changer. I mean, that tool has significantly changed it. Five years ago, we didn't really have access to it, and it's been a significant improvement in cybersecurity. Seeing companies start to build SOC and offering that SOC, sorry, Security Operations Center, and offering that to customers, game changer. You can't do that. Nate already talked about it's hard to build it. It's hard to maintain it. It's extremely expensive. Things are getting better. I do see a light at the end of the tunnel. Tools are starting to consolidate, et cetera. I do think it will be better. But in the meantime, yeah, I think over the next three to four years, you're still going to see the demand continue to grow as we start to figure out how to actually put this into practice. Yeah, the one thing that I'd say, I'll agree with everything Todd said there is, um, I think that one of the things that organizations will still struggle with is, they'll potentially want to hire an internal person, um, you know, to be able to do this because as the needs are becoming deeper and deeper and deeper, right? We talked about that. The, the, it takes a village to raise someone. Um, same with IT is uh, organizations might start saying, do we bring this internally, right? 
my point there is it's still going to be expensive. Um, so that's where if you're not at a point or maybe you're you're planning to get to that point in you know, two or three years or so um, today, you might not be able to afford that. Um, so that's where I'll kind of just, you know, a shameless plug here, but that's where an MSP really provides value is we can take the expertise of Todd, myself, Matthew, the others on the team, right? We have got so much knowledge on the security team. You can pay for just a slice of time, um, still bring in all the same expertise, accomplish the task, and then we're gone again, right? And then the next time you need assistance, come in, pay for a very small sliver of our time, and then at least it can help support you to get to your internal plan if that's what you're looking for as well. Yeah. I agree with Todd and Nate. Um, I, I will mention that I, I think I may be pushing more towards the five to ten year mark with with my thoughts, but mm. boot camps that we see now seem to be quite overarching. They are get a feel for every single department, as we've seen with where we are now, security being treated as its own, individuals no longer being able to do every aspect. I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, we're going to get to more people doing boot camps, six weeks, three months long courses in just threat detection. We're going to see it in, in my opinion, specifically people walking out of these boot camps, not as cybersecurity, you know, specialists with just a, a whole bunch of knowledge, but specifically in each of these departments as we split them down and get even more granular in the teams that are doing this work. Um, so I think that there's potential for us to have more specialization especially in those entry-level roles. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see what they start to look like, uh, I, especially with how they break down. Sorry, one uh, one other thing that I just thought of is I believe I did just see, um, I forgot what state, so don't hold me to this, but there's a state that mandated that every kid should in you know the school um, go through some type of cybersecurity course. Um, and so, they're starting to also feed that expertise up from the bottom to the next future leaders. So that's really encouraging as well. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Nate, Matthew, and Todd for joining us today. This is, I thought this was a great conversation and maybe we'll come back a year from now, three years, five years, and have this same conversation and see where we're at. Um, if you're curious to learn more about cybersecurity, either, either as a career um, or what CIT can do to support you in this shortage, reach out to us at info at CIT-net.com or head out to our website, CIT-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode. <laughs>